Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Hello, and uh, let's get ready to start uh, our lesson today in this wonderful book of Genesis. And before we do, let's look to the author in prayer. Father, we look to you now as you are not only the great author, Lord, you're the great revealer. And so, Lord, we present ourselves to you today and ask you that you would open our hearts as we open this book. Lord, that you would shine Onto us the truth, Lord, because you are the light. Thank you for hearing us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now please follow along here as I read in Genesis chapter 17. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make a covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generations, he that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant." And the uncircumcised man whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And God said unto Abram, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt call her name, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, and I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a man be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. Now, that's as far as we'll go this morning. Now, God says here, as we look at this passage, some very important things, especially as we look in, in verse nine, where he begins to speak to Abraham about Abraham's part in God's covenant. He has a part in his covenant here, 
And it's very important that we see this because this is something for Abraham to do. This is something for his seed to do. And because Abraham and his seed had to do this, this part of the covenant, you wouldn't call this an unconditional covenant because there is a very real condition in this part of the covenant. And we can see this condition in verse nine with the words, thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. So what God is saying in verse nine is that Abraham and his seed, they were to keep God's covenant. This was a responsibility of Abraham and his seed. Abraham and his seed were responsible for this. They were to keep this part of the covenant. And in verse 10, God identifies exactly what that part is that they were to keep, where it says, and God said, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you, thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. That's the word, moil in Hebrew, circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a token, is the word God used, a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every male child, and so forth. Now, the covenant that Abraham and his seed were to keep was the moil covenant. It was the covenant of the cutting of flesh. It was the covenant of circumcision. And in this verse 10, God told Abraham that circumcision was for every male child, every single one. It was a universal requirement for every male child. And that's why it's done. Uh, it's done, of course, among uh, many people, but it's done among the Jewish people when a child is eight days old. You know, the joke is that's why they do it when he's eight days old, because if he got any older and had a chance to think about it, then the child would opt out and said, no, I don't want to do that. But in verse 11, God told Abraham certain things about the circumcision. He said that the circumcision, he said, it shall be a token. That's the word, a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. God used this very special word, token, to describe the circumcision. It's an interesting word. It's the, it's the Hebrew word is the word ot, ot. It means ot, and it's translated here token, but it also means sign. As a matter of fact, when you look at the 79 times that this word ot is used in the Bible, 60 of those times it's translated as the word sign. That's the way we should think of it, as a sign. This word oat was used to describe the miracle plagues that God brought on Egypt. And when Moses spoke about those miracle plagues, those 10 plagues, which were miracles from God, in Numbers 14.22, Moses used the word oat to describe the plagues. They were oat these plagues were, they were signs. Signs of what? Signs of the power of God. Signs of the might of God. Signs that God means business when he says that he wants to call his son out of Egypt. When he, God means business when he said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And in order for them to do, in order for him to do that, of course, we know he brought the 10 plagues, but those plagues were signs and messages to a Pharaoh and to the Egyptian people that God meant business. Now, the word oat is also used 
for the keeping of the Sabbath. The keeping of the Sabbath, the keeping of the Sabbath. Big deal is made over the keeping of the Sabbath, the seventh day. That was only to be for the children of Israel. That was only for the Jewish people. And God said that it was an oath, that when they kept the Sabbath, it was an oath, it was a sign, it was a token, it was an indication. An indication of what? An indication that the people who kept the Sabbath believed that God created the earth in six literal yom, six literal 24-hour periods. And so God was saying, you believe that, that God created the earth in six literal days and then rested on the seventh day, then you rest on the seventh day, he told the Jewish people, as an oath, as a sign to the world that you believe that God created the earth in six literal days, and so therefore you rest on the seventh day. So this word oath was used as a sign, it means sign, and it was used to tell that there was a meaning behind what was being done here. And so the word oath was first used in Genesis chapter one, verse 14. We've actually studied it, and it was used when God put the stars in the sky. He said that he put the stars in the sky as an oath. In other words, as a sign. The stars in the sky are a sign. They're an indication. Now, with all this in mind, the Sabbath, the miracle plagues in Egypt, the stars in the sky, now he uses this word, this very same word for the circumcision. And we understand as God uses this term that the word, that the oath is a sign, as an outward sign of something that's happening inside. You see, as the miracle plagues was an outward sign of the might of God, of the love of God for Israel, of how God wanted to call his people out. And so the signs of the miracle plagues, those were the signs of that. In the same way, the Sabbath, when they would keep the Sabbath, it was a sign. They believed that God is the creator. And not only is he the creator, he's the creator who did it as he said he did. And on six literal days and rested the seventh day. And the oath of that, the sign of that was the Sabbath. Well, here comes the circumcision. And the circumcision is a sign also, a sign of what? It's an outward sign in the flesh of an inward change that's happened. It's an inward change which has really happened to the parents because this is a sign that's only a sign, but it's an indication that points to something else. The circumcision is an outward sign that points to an inward reality. And that inward reality is described by God in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, where God speaks about circumcision, not outwardly in the flesh, but he says to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 10, 16, circumcise therefore, moil therefore, the foreskin of your heart. He said, the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. So he was saying that as opposed to being stiff-necked, stubborn, obstinate, not moving, being like a mule with God, as opposed to being that, be soft-hearted, be tender, be obedient, be responsive to God. And he says, he says that that is like circumcision. So it's like circumcising your heart. Cut away the part that makes you stiff-necked. He says also another place, that was using circumcision as a, as, as a symbol as opposed to being stiff-necked. But also, 
he used that analogy or symbol of the circumcision in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, where he says, And the Lord God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. Now, always there has to be a person, a moil. We call him a moil. A moil is a person who actually does the circumcision within the Jewish uh, tradition. And uh, my grandfather was a moil, my, and, and he used to do the circumcision. My father, being an obstetrician, he used to also do circumcision, but he wasn't, a, wasn't really a traditional moil in that sense. But in any case, there must always be another person that performs the circumcision, right? A baby can't circumcise himself. A baby, another person comes. In that, in that analogy, in that picture, God says, I would like to use that picture. And he does use that picture in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, to, to, where Moses says, the great moil is the Lord thy God. When it says, the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart. He's the one who will come and do the surgical procedure on your heart. Now, remember, in the case of Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, it, the purpose of the circumcision was so that they would not be stiff-necked. Here, he says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, the purpose of the circumcision, with a cutting away of the foreskin, he says, the Lord thy God will circumcise thy heart and the heart of thy seed. And here's what happens after he does the circumcision of the heart, to love the Lord thy God, with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that thou thou mayest live. So here he's saying, if you let God, you present your heart to God, let him do the cutting away, let him do the circumcision. It is for the purpose so that you can love the Lord thy God. And he says, with all thine heart. So it's symbolic of taking away a distraction. It's symbolic of having another love having another interest, being half-hearted, not being wholehearted in love to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, these, and God says, you let me circumcise your heart, and then you will have a wholeheartedness. You know, that's what plagues us as believers, is this half-heartedness. It's this time of, of praying, but you're really 5,000 miles away thinking about something else. It's this half-heartedness of speaking about God, but you're really thinking about business. It's this half-heartedness that plagues us like a leprosy, and we would do anything to get rid of this half-heartedness and to restore, O oh God, in me the whole heart. And that was the whole meaning behind the whole burnt offering. It was to have the whole heart. And so God says here in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, that if you let me be the moil, if you let me circumcise your heart, then you will love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and he says, and the end result will be that thou mayest live. When we love the Lord Jesus Christ, when a person loves the Lord Jesus Christ with all of his heart, with all of his soul, then life comes. And so, then he says in Jeremiah 4, 4 verse 4, so now keep in mind that we've been covering the first verse, which is Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, where he said, you circumcise the foreskin your heart. How can it be? You circumcise, God circumcise. Well, the meaning is that when you consciously present yourself to God and he cuts away the distractions, you remove the distractions. You let God remove the distractions. All that is tied up with the idea of you circumcise your heart and God circumcises your heart. And so then he goes on in Jeremiah 4.4 and he continues with the you circumcise your heart and he says, circumcise yourselves 
to the Lord. So he, he's saying, you now you be the moil. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire. So God does not like half-heartedness. God does not like love of the world. See, the foreskin represents love of the world, friendship with the world. And you know, you can say it like this. To the measure that a person is a friend of the world, they're the enemy of God. Because friendship with the world is enmity with God. And God wants us to cut the world away, to cut the world's interests out of us. God wanted to take his people out of Egypt, and he wanted to take Egypt out of his people. And God wants to take us out of the world, and he wants to take the world out of us. And that's what's all tied up in this meaning of circumcision. Because if the people coming out of Egypt, the Jewish people coming out of Egypt, if Egypt wasn't out of the people, then, as it says in Hebrews, they were mindful of that country that they came out of, and they had opportunity to return. In other words, they kept saying, oh, it was better back there. We want to go back. It was a good food, the leeks and the garlics, and, and uh, we really enjoyed it back there. We want to return. We want to return. And that greatly provoked God to anger in the wilderness there. And in the same way, God does not want us to have a heart that wants to return to the world. He wants the world out of us. And that's what's tied up in these words when the, the challenge is given to us, given to us, given to the Jewish people, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. And Deuteronomy, that was Jeremiah 4, 4. And then in Deuteronomy 10, 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. And of course, we run into the situation where we say, I just can't, I can't, I can't get the world out of my heart. It's just stuck in there. What do I do? Then you come to God and you present yourself with the Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And then Moses says, I know, God knows. So now you present yourself and it says, and the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart, and, the, and, and so forth. So, in other words, in that case, you just present yourself to God. And all the, uh, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Lord, I try to circumcise my heart from the world, but uh, Lord, please circumcise my heart. And he works in many, many ways to do that. So the real circumcision that's being referred to here is in the heart. And the outward circumcision is only an oat. It's only a token of the real circumcision in the heart. And that's why God used this word. It might be a token between me and you. Now, the outward circumcision of the flesh, it cannot take the place of the inward circumcision of the heart. It cannot take the place. Just because a person is circumcised, that means nothing unless it is a real oat a real token, a real sign of a change that's happened inwardly, of a circumcision of the heart that cannot be seen. And it's obvious that outward circumcision cannot be meaningful for the person being circumcised because he's only eight days old. He doesn't even know. But it can be meaningful for the parents. And soon we're, we're going to, at the chapel, have a baby dedication. And the, the parents are gonna come with their newborn baby and none of us expect a baby to lift itself up and to say, say to the congregation, excuse me, I want to testify. I'm dedicating myself today to God. <laughs> that was, none of us expect that. 
But as with circumcision and baby dedication, they are outward signs of what is hopefully, hopefully, an inward decision and an inward reality. And a Jewish person can be circumcised outwardly and not have that inward circumcision of the heart. And this is what Paul was trying to say. This is what he's saying in Romans 2, 28 through 29. He's got this all in his view, Paul does, when he makes these astounding statements. Romans 2, 28 through 29. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. See, Paul is saying here, he's saying, of course, that's how, you know, I have a friend, you know, Avi, and, uh, and his father was, uh, was a Jewish person in a Turkish background in Turkey. And uh, during the Ottoman Empire, uh, Avi's father uh, fought on the wrong side when it came for the British. He was fighting on the Ottoman side. And, and uh, so the British had conquered him, and, uh, and they said, uh, you know, uh, you are, uh, you know, you're, you're uh, uh, you know, an Ottoman, or, and, uh, you know, he, was, he says, we're going to kill you. And Avi's father said, no, I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew. And uh, he, he, he said, uh, look, I'm a Jew. And then he, he dropped his pants and, and showed him that he was circumcised. But they still didn't believe him, by the way, because the Muslims also circumcised. So they were going to kill him. And then what he did is he recited the 23rd Psalm in Hebrew. And then he lived. And then my friend Avi was born. But anyway, the point is, is that a, a, a Jewish person can be circumcised outwardly and not have this inward circumcision of the heart. And a Jew, as Avi's father was, you know, showing them that he was a Jew by circumcision, but a Jew is not one who is circumcised outwardly, Paul says, because a Jew is a Jew who is inwardly a Jew. See, a, a Jew, as we've said before, Jew comes from the word Judah, meaning praise. So it's a person who is really praising God. That's a real Jew. And of course, Judah being one of the 12 tribes, was the important one because that was the tribe through which the Messiah came. So to be named a Jew was to be one who was looking forward to and all about the Messiah. And so a Jew is a person who's occupied with the Messiah. The word Christ means Messiah. So a Christian is a person who's occupied with the Messiah. So in this sense, a true Jew, a true Christian, it's the same, because they're occupied with the same person, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul says that a true Jew is not one outwardly, it's one inwardly. It's like baptism. Baptism is a symbol of death, a death to self, and it's a death by being crucified with Christ. It's an identification with Christ. And baptism is really seen in Galatians 2.20, where it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So, when a person is standing there in the water to be baptized, and he is a picture or a symbol in the baptism of Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Down into the water he goes. Nevertheless, I live. Up from the water he comes. 
Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. See, it's an outward sign. It's an oath. It's a token. But if a person has not really died to self, has not really identified with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, then if a person has been, is not, then baptism for him, it's not a sign of any inward change because there's no inward change. A person, that person just goes into the water a dry sinner and comes out of the water a wet sinner. Baptism changes nothing because baptism is an oath. Baptism is a token, it's a sign of an inward change. And like baptism, like circumcision, it, it is showing something that's happening inside. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at tomcantor.com. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. 